Good evening. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Grace Downtown, and we are so glad that you are here to worship with us tonight. We are starting in a uh, very important season in the life of our church tonight, and it's called uh, Momentum, as you see up there on the screen. Uh, Each fall, we enter a season that we call Momentum, where we intentionally uh, look at the scriptures to see what it looks like to be and make disciples. The idea is that we would be on track as a church, that it would be kind of a yearly checkup, uh, a yearly recalibration to make sure that we are headed in the right direction. So for the next four weeks, you're going to hear a little bit about who we are as a church, where we're headed as a church, what it's going to take to get where God is calling us to go, and uh, kind of the way forward of what God is calling us to do over the next year. And then uh, the area that we specifically wanted to focus on uh, this fall is getting into God's Word as a church, which is really exciting and I think something we can all get behind. So uh, starting the first Sunday in October through Thanksgiving, we'll be taking a look at the story of God where in eight weeks we will go from Genesis to Revelation verse by verse. Just kidding. (laughs) Just making sure you guys are awake and you're not. Cool. At least I know what we're working with here. So um, eight weeks, Genesis through Revelation, the meta-narrative of Scripture, um, and it's going to be a great time getting God's Word. We're going to recommend Bible reading plans. We're going to make sure that you have Bibles in your hands. Make sure you know the story of God so you can share the story of God with everyone around you. So that's where we're headed over the next few weeks. Tonight, we're taking a look at who we are as a church and what God has called us to be. Over the next uh, four weeks, we're going to be taking a look at this passage that Ryan just read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's also on the keychains. I'll tell you more about this in a minute, but we're memorizing these verses as a church family as well. And tonight, we're going to tackle three verses as we jump in. In life, there's a lot of opinion-based questions, questions that um, are asked and maybe you have an opinion about, but really they're not necessarily that important. Opinions on who your favorite superhero is or who your favorite football team is or uh, the best kind of, of soda drink or all kinds of different things. Your favorite kind of music. There's so many opinions and it doesn't necessarily matter one way or another what your opinion is on those things. One question that matters very deeply and should not just be a matter of opinion is how we navigate the difficulties of life. How we navigate the uncertainties that we find in our world, in our culture, in our community, in our families, in our jobs, in our own hearts. How do we navigate the difficulties that we face day in and day out, whether it's something Uh, like just a daily aggravation or bigger existential questions about why we exist and why we're here and why we're doing the things that we're doing. So how do we face these challenges, these uncertainties? The answer to that question is an important one for us as a society. It's important for us as a church, as people that follow Jesus, but it's important for us as individuals as well, just as humans. There's a a thought in our mind that if we can just get it right, that we or our family or our church or maybe even we as a society are headed in the right direction. One of the greatest myths that we believe as humans in our time is the myth of perfectibility, that we can eventually be perfect 
or at least a better version of ourself. And so we look in all kinds of directions. We take on all kinds of worldviews. We take in all kinds of pleasures. We try, try all kinds of career paths and education paths and relationships. And we try all of these different things in order to find the answers to the questions we're looking for and in order to have a better life, to be a better person, to make a more perfect culture around us. But the law of entropy is in effect. Things are always moving towards disorder. I'm not smart enough to understand all the science behind it. And if I did, I would botch the science and several of you would be very upset with me and not listen to the rest of what I say. But if we just look at the history of humanity, let's point to a culture that ended up being perfect. Let's point to a church that ended up being perfect. Let's point to a civilization that got humanity perfect and existed forever. Oh, that's right, we can't. And in fact, as we look at history, there's great civilizations, great empires, great nations, great conquerors, great nation states, but they last a very short time in the grand scheme of history. So we find cultures that are progressing towards these moments or these eras of disorder. We see it in our own lives. We see it in the church. We see it all around us. As we navigate this, we live in a culture with very polarized ideas of what we should do with the chaos, with the injustice, with the hurt that we see around us. We have very extreme ideas about how we can fix what we see is broken in the world. This is a a big generalization, and this is not the only two systems that we try, but two systems are the secularist that would say what we really need to do to become a, a better culture, a more advanced culture, is just eradicate this notion of religion. Or let your religion drive your private values, but not your public actions, is what we're told. And then the religious fundamentalist thinks that things need to return to a time when our nation was built on Christian principles. And it's largely based on an idea of uh, the United States of America that didn't necessarily exist. There has not been a perfect time in our culture, in America, where we're trying to get the church or the culture back to that point. If you look back at the history of the church in America, every single era is full of things that we look back on and we think, oh my gosh, I can't believe the church was okay with that. So when we look at the chaos in our culture, we look at the chaos in our hearts, when we look at things moving towards more and more disorder, more and more polarization, we start grasping for answers. Mark Sayers is a pastor and a social uh, researcher. He's my new best friend, I think. I read a lot about him the last uh, couple of weeks. He says that often religious people want to bring things about in the kingdom that are good and right, but they try to do it without the king. That's a very good summary of what we try to do as church people to deal with this chaos. So as we look back at the history of humanity and the history of the church, we see this ebb and flow of the movement of God among his people. 
It's not that God's church is on this certain straight line trajectory. It's more like a roller coaster, up and down, believing God in some things, but failing to believe him in other things. Moments of spiritual renewal, then complacency sets in, and then another crash. You can look at individuals, you can look at churches, you can look at the history of the church and see this pattern taking place. In light of all this, And in light of what scripture says, we want you to know who we are as a church. And more importantly, we want you to know that if you are following Christ, or if you are considering following Christ, we want you to know what you are choosing to do. We need to know who Christ is, and we need to know who we are as individuals and as a church in light of who Jesus is and what he has done. So that's what we're hoping to do in this series, and that's what we're hoping to do with the scripture tonight. Would you pray with me and for me as we get started? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear from you. Thank you that you have not left us without truth, without answers. God, you have given us your word, your spirit, your people. You've given us creation itself. God, that points to a loving God who speaks, who acts, who sees. God, we want to hear from you tonight. God, I pray that I would decrease tonight so that you might increase, so that you could be seen clearly. God, we want to hear what you have for each one of us. We want to hear what you have for us as a church. We want to be a people that is marked by your word. Thank you, God, that your word lasts forever. The grass withers, nature fades away, we return to the dust, but your word stands forever. Father, we want to stand on that tonight. We want to hear from that tonight. We pray that your spirit would move amongst us tonight and speak what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So please open with me, if you haven't already, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible or a Bible app, there's some Bibles on the windowsill. Please feel free to jump up and grab those. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And um, we're specifically taking a look at 17, 18, and 19 of 2 Corinthians 5. But I want to start in verse 11 and point out a couple things here for context. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, uh, starts with, this word, therefore. 2 Corinthians 5.11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. Anytime we see that word therefore, it uh, appears a number of times in this passage. We need to go back to the previous verse or verses to understand what the therefore is there for. So here we go back and read verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So this entire section is in the context of Paul saying that everyone one day will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, will stand before God and give an account for who they are and the deeds that they have done. And therefore, because of that, we want to persuade others that it is important how they live their life. That's what this whole passage, this whole section is about. Look at verse 16, the verse preceding the ones we're taking a look at specifically tonight. 
2 Corinthians 5, 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to, to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. It is saying here, Paul is saying, that if we are in Christ now, which is what verse 17 is going to tell us about, being in Christ, if we are in Christ now, it means we used to view Christ a certain way, and we view him a different way now that we are in Christ. It is also telling us if we are not in Christ, then we view Christ with fleshly eyes instead of eyes that have been renewed by the Spirit. So what verse 16 is telling us. So let's take a look at verses 17 through 19. And as you'll see, I underlined some important points here. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I said earlier that some things are a matter of opinion, but actually I lied. Your favorite superhero, the best superhero, is not an opinion. The best superhero is Batman. And let me tell you why. This could start a fight. We may have to have a theological forum on this. Okay, so the best superhero is Batman, and let me tell you why. The best superhero is Batman because he is a self-made man. Okay, yeah, he has a billion dollars. I get that. But his superpowers come from his intellect, from his strength, from this whole lab of scientists that are making things for him. It's not a supernatural power that's driving him. It's, it's a wisdom. It's an intellect. It's a, a will. It's a drive that's driving him. So Batman is the best superhero. That's just a free side note for you. Um, but the reason that it's important in the context of this passage is this verse in Christ, there's a lot we could say. So I want to, us to have a concrete example. I actually stole this from a guy named Rankin Wilborn that wrote wrote a great book about being in Christ. But he says in that book that, um, I can't remember what it's called right now. It's something about being in Christ. But he says, you are more Spider-Man than Batman if you are in Christ. Spider-Man is invaded by a supernatural power outside of himself that gives him supernatural abilities. Someone in the back just made the spider web thing with their, their hands. And it was not one of the pastors, just so you know. You are more Spider-Man than Batman. Any power that you have, any spiritual power, any spiritual ability, even the ability to see Christ for who he really is, has been given to you by an outside source. And that source is the spirit of the living God who invades us. We see the beauty of who Christ is, that we are then in Christ, we are hidden in him, and we are filled with a supernatural power, a supernatural being, the God of the universe comes into us and changes our life, changes our actions, changes who we are. Being in Christ means we belong to God. We are in Christ and he, by the Spirit, is in us. Colossians 3 verse 3 actually says, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You are now hidden with Christ in God. My boys and I had a long conversation about what this means this week. And they described it this way. One of my boys described it as Jesus being a garment that's around us, that protects us as we go into the presence of a holy God. 
That's an amazing, amazing word picture. We are hidden with Christ in God. God is holy and we are not. What we bring to the table is spiritual, moral bankruptcy. But if we are in Christ, we are hidden with Christ in God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, lays out the gospel for us. If you skip ahead, we'll cover this in a few weeks much more extensively. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no, no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's the gospel right there in one verse. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. His life on the cross in exchange for ours. That's what it means to be in Christ. And if we are in Christ, then we are a new creation. We're a new creation. Have you ever gotten a new car and you tell everyone, I got a new car? Well, when we say we got a new car, what we hope that they think is we think this. I got a new car. That's a uh, 2000 or a 2020 Honda Accord. Accords have changed a lot since my first Accord. That actually looks cool. I would drive that. That's a new car. When you say you have a new car, The person might be picturing this, and that's probably what you hope they picture. But when I say I got a new car, I mean I bought it. I didn't have it yesterday, and now I do. So it's new to me. But you might mean this. That's a Honda Accord with a lot of duct tape. That is duct tape. It is holding most of it together. This is no one's car in this room, to be clear. I found it on the interweb. But when we say we have a new car, we may just mean that it's new to us. I give you this word picture because this is often the way we picture our new life in Christ. He just took my mess and he duct taped it together and I'm still just hobbling along. And everybody's going, wow, nice car, bro. Duct tape. Good luck with that one. If we are in Christ... We're a new creation, and the old has passed away. It's dead. This is language for final death. The old has passed away, and the new has come. We're a new creation. We're going to spend a number of weeks, the next four weeks, covering this passage, but just look quickly at some, what some of this new creation gives us. Verse 15, it gives us a new purpose. We no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We are given a new perspective in verse 16. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled, I'm sorry, that's 18. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. So we're given a new perspective. Then we're given a new mission which is verses 18 and 19, which we'll talk about in just a minute. We're given a new purpose, a new perspective, a new mission, a new driving force for our lives because we're in Christ. We're a new creation. And because we are in Christ, his spirit, the spirit of the living God is in us. We want to see the ultimate example of this. We can look no further than Jesus. We can look at Jesus, the ultimate new man, the ultimate creation. He is not created. He is fully God. 
When we look at the life of Jesus, we see what this life lived fully in the Spirit for the glory of the Father at all times looks like. John 8, 28 and 29, Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that pleases him. That's life in the new creation. That's life with the spirit of the living God driving our actions, realizing that we are sent by God, realizing that we are not here on our own authority, that we don't belong to ourselves, that we belong to God and that we were bought at a price. And we always do the things that are pleasing to him when we walk in this newness of life. Then we are told the old has passed away and behold, the new has come. This word behold, always when we see this word in behold, behold in scripture, it means stop and look. Stop and look. Matthew uses this in the account of Jesus being born over and over and over again. The angels say it over and over again. Behold, lo, I am with you always. Behold, unto us a child is born. Stop, look, take notice. That's what Paul is telling us here. You're in new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Notice what has taken place in your life. Notice that you're not the same as you used to be. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these videos of either kids or adults that can see for the first time. They're starting to do amazing things, amazing things where people that were formerly legally blind are now starting to be able to see or people that are colorblind that can see colors for the first time. Have you seen some of these videos where these individuals see color or see perfectly for the first time and how excited they are? It's so moving. I dare you to watch one without crying. It's so moving. But how quickly does that newness wear off? I bet it wears off pretty quickly. We get so acclimated to our newness of life that we forget how miraculous it is. We forget what the spirit of the living God working inside of us can do. We're so focused on the stuff that seems like it's duct taped together and we're barely scraping by. We forget to behold that a new life has come. Next we read, all of this is from God. This amazing gift of being in Christ, this amazing gift of new life, it all comes from God. This is Paul making sure that we remember that we cannot earn this. That we cannot make ourselves new. That we, we cannot clean up ourselves enough to be acceptable to God. We cannot find purpose and perspective and mission on our own. We cannot live life on our own authority. All of this that Paul has been talking about is from God. All other religious belief systems are different than this. In every one of them, there is a supreme being or many supreme beings or he or she reveal the way to receive or earn their love. The God of the Bible says, you can't receive my love. You don't deserve my love, but I will give it to you anyway. I will make a way. I will come and I will be with you. I will come to you. All of this is from God. Continues on. 
who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. First, we read that we are given a ministry of reconciliation. This is referring to the action of reconciliation. This word, diaconian, you may have heard it before. There's diaconian orders in uh, the Catholic faith. There's um, these buildings that are used as a refuge to those that are downtrodden. There's a diaconian order of folks that work in these places that, that give good news to the poor in acts of service. This is Paul reminding us that since we've been reconciled to God, we have an obligation to serve the lowly because we were once lowly in spirit too. We are to help those that are duct taping their lives together just trying to get by because that used to be us. We are reconciled to become reconcilers. We are redeemed to help others see that they can be redeemed too. We are made righteous so we can bring rightness to the world. We are made a new creation and we are told to go and steward God's creation and point people made in the image of God to their creator. And like Paul in the book of Acts say, let me introduce you to your creator. Let me serve you and love you in a way that people ask you about the hope that you have. Ask you about the joy and the peace that you have. Because it's got to be supernatural. It's got to be from God. It's got to be that you're a new creation. We are given a ministry of reconciliation. Then Paul interrupts his own train of thought, which he really likes to do, and says, not counting their trespasses against them. Not counting their trespasses against them? This is Paul reminding us that we have trespasses against the holy God. We have trespassed and we trespass and we will trespass in the future a holy God. Let's not take our sin lightly just because Jesus has died for it. But friends, let's remember that he has died for it. He doesn't count their trespasses against them. It is not Jesus saying that your sin is no big deal. It's Jesus saying your sin is a big deal and I am taking it on my shoulders. I am taking it to the cross for you and you will be hidden in Christ, in God. Next we read, entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Have you ever trusted a kid with a message? Have you ever told one of your kids to go tell someone else, like one of the other kids or a significant other, hey, go tell them such and such. It's time for dinner. Have you ever entrusted a kid with a message? How'd that go? You're lucky if a message gets to the other person at all. And if a message gets to the other person, it is worse than the telephone game. Okay, the telephone game, you pass it down the line and it ends up getting mixed up and it ends up being a, a, a mad gab game, you know. But it, it ends up just being kind of a, a weird version of the first thing that started. If you give a message to a child and send them to tell another adult or another child a message, you're lucky if that message gets there at all. Or if that message ends up being them going and making their own request that has nothing to do with your message to the other parent. This is what happens when we entrust children with a message. 
This is also often what happens to us as believers, those who are in Christ, when God gives us a message. We get distracted by other things. We get distracted by other purposes. We get distracted by other desires. We get distracted by other messages. We get distracted by other things. We get distracted thinking that we are our own authority in our life and we can decide the message. He has entrusted us with a message. Here, literally, what we are reading is God has put the word of reconciliation in us. Entrusted, that means put into. He has put into us a message of reconciliation. So, in light of all of these things, who are we? Let's do a little summary and then let's look at what this looks like for us as a church. Who are we? We are saved. We are saved from our sins. We are saved from being that old self. We are saved from having to duct tape ourselves together and just get by. We're saved. God, not counting our trespasses against us because we are found hidden in Christ. Then we are made new. We're made a new creation in him. New perspective, new motives, new vision, new mission for our life. Our life is no longer about us. It's hidden in Christ. And lastly, we are entrusted with a message. We're given a message. I don't know what you think about when you hear the word revival. If you grow up in the church, you may have some different feelings about it. Maybe it has a negative connotation to you. Maybe you think of something that happened way back when, in the second great awakening or sometime earlier before you were even born. Maybe your church had revivals growing up where it was an event or a week or a weekend. Maybe you have gone to an event at a stadium that's called a revival or a renewal or something along these lines. As we start talking about revival and what revival may look like, if we read an author on a blog or in a book or in a tweet say something about revival, a lot of different thoughts come to mind. But right away, two objections or two barriers or two hindrances pop up in our mind. Many of them could, but here are the two main ones that pop up in my heart. And I'm going to guess that it also pops up in yours. The first one is, especially living where we live in Iowa City, well, how could revival happen when we're such a, a minority? When there's so few people who are going to church? There are tens of thousands of students that live within eyeshot of this building, and you can see they are not all here. You saw a few weeks ago about how we did baptisms on the front lawn. It was awesome. I love getting to see people baptized. It's so encouraging to experience that as a church family. Did you see how many people just walked by and didn't care at all? 
we're offering free food tonight. And we won't have a line out the door. We look at our culture and we say, our culture is becoming increasingly more secular. Those of us who follow Christ are becoming more and more of a minority. How could a revival ever happen right here, right now on this campus? Maybe at a Christian school, but at this school, in this community, I just, I don't know. That's our first thought. Our second thought when we hear the word revival is we think about our own hearts. And we think about our own struggles, our own unbelief, our own sin patterns, our own suffering. And we think if revival is going to happen, it's, I'm not going to be asked to be involved with that. So, what does God have for us moving forward at Grace Community Church? And I want to submit to you tonight that he has in mind for us a revival. And I say that not because I got a special word from the Lord at any point today or this week. I did not clear this with the elders, which is typically a good idea, but I didn't. But I want to submit to you tonight that God is asking for a revival. And the reason is not because of a church initiative. We don't get to tell God when a revival starts. I submit to you tonight that God wants a revival because revivals start when we humble ourselves, we forsake our sin, and we ask God to heal us, and we ask God to forgive us, and we ask God to take more of our life. And God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And if we will humble ourselves as individuals, as leaders, as a church, as believers in Christ, as human beings, if we will humble ourselves and pray, he will heal us, he will empower us, he will save souls, and he will do a work among us that we are not worthy to be a part of. So what might this look like at Grace Community Church? Oh my goodness, this clicker. This clicker needs a revival. It needs to be healed. Okay, how does this look at Grace Community Church? Little backstory of how, why you're here and how this church started. Um, Grace Community Church is one church in two locations. Uh, the other location is in North Liberty. We have three services on Sunday morning. We have this service on Sunday night. The one um, in North Liberty has been there since the early 90s. It's been a church since 1967, I think. If someone can turn around the back of their shirt, it says on the shirt, 67 or 68. It's been around for a long time. Four? 64. Uh, since 1964, we've been a church. But six years ago, we planted Grace Downtown, which is where you are currently at. We started right down the street in the building that used to be First Baptist Iowa City, is now One Ancient Hope. They started last week. There are awesome folks down there that love Jesus. They're meeting in that building. We moved down here five years ago. A lot of times when people plant churches, they do market research to determine where they're going to put their church. We did not do market research before we planted Grace Downtown. The reason is because they would have told us, don't plant a church in downtown Iowa City. We planted a church in downtown Iowa City for a couple of reasons. One, we felt like there wasn't enough gospel in downtown Iowa City, and we wanted students to be able to walk and hear the gospel every week. We also had community groups meeting already in Iowa City, community groups led by people who are led by the Spirit, love Jesus, and wanted to see God do something in their midst. 
So this church started. And this church, like the one in North Liberty, is a church of gospel truth, gospel community, and gospel mission. So first, gospel truth. Isaiah 40 tells us that the word of our God will last forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will last forever. Church-wide initiatives will not last forever. Grace Community Church will not last forever. The United States of America may not last forever. You will not last forever, but the word of God will last forever. The one enduring persevering thing that we can stake our lives and our church and our vision and our values and our mission on is the word of God. So we want our lives and our church and our actions and our beliefs to be based on the word of God. We want to be people of the word. Colossians 3.16, which was our memory verse from last week. If you haven't grabbed one of these keychains, we Uh, encourage you to do one each week. There's a memory verse that we're working on as families, households, individuals, in community groups. We're memorizing these verses because we want to be people of gospel truth, people of the word. Last week's verse, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing hymns and Uh, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We want to be people that if we are squeezed, if we are hard-pressed, the word of God comes spilling out of us because we are dwelling in it richly. We want to be a people that has a knowledge of God that moves to an experiential knowledge of God, where we know God not just because of what we have read and what we have heard, but because of what we have experienced. We want to be people of gospel truth in our actions. We want to be people that know God's word and love God's word. We want to, we want to be a people of gospel truth And one of the ways that we've done that is by choosing verses to go through during this time. We don't want it to be a four-week infomercial about how great Grace Community Church is. We want to get in to God's word. Right now, your kids downstairs from nursery on up through second grade, they're not just being entertained. They're not just being corralled. They're being taught God's word. And your kids will learn these verses before you, I guarantee it. Here's the thing. We could be a successful-looking church on the outside. In North Liberty, we're looking to expand our building. We're looking to use our meals even more effectively here downtown this year. And the, the scary thing is that we could look successful from the outside. And we could build a nice, big, fancy building in North Liberty. And we could get everything just right with how we pull off this service downtown. But if it's not based on the gospel, if it's not based on who God is, then we've accomplished nothing. And in the words of our teaching pastor, congratulations. (laughs) This is Pastor Brooks. He's our teaching pastor. He literally said what I just said in a staff meeting on Wednesday, and someone made a meme within two minutes. And it was the youth pastor, as if I have to tell you that. So, we want to be a people that stands on the word of God because the word of God endures forever. Next, we want to be a... I don't want that up there anymore. Okay. 
We want to be a people of gospel community. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The whole thing, it's written in the context of community. Paul is telling the Corinthians what kind of church they should be, what they are not, and how they need to get in line with what God has called them to be. They're called to be a gospel community. We want to be a biblical community. We want to be a community based on the gospel. We want to be a community that really knows one another. And this church may seem small or it may seem big to you, whatever your context is, but you may get the illusion that you can kind of be community just by being in a smaller church. But we're, we're too big for that. And we can't really know one another by just coming to service. We want to be a people that really knows one another. That's why we meet in community groups. That's why we have meals and sit at round tables and, and fellowship together. That's why we have greeters at the doors instead of just a doorstop to hold the door open. So we want each person to feel valued as they walk through the door. That they're stepping into something that is like nothing they've ever experienced. The University of Iowa has 500 student organizations. 500 student organizations. I'm not making fun of these people. They're probably great people. But just to show you how there's a group for everyone, the American Association of Petroleum Geologists have a student org. It is geologists focused specifically on petroleum. There is a student org for everyone. But there is not a student org like the fellowship that comes with being in Christ. Because you have to like petroleum geology to be in that student org. We come together in the name of Jesus alone. What an amazing countercultural thing it is to belong to a biblical community. And lastly, we want to be people on gospel mission. We see in this passage both the ministry and the message of reconciliation. We are given the ministry of Reconciliation, we're entrusted with the message of reconciliation, the demonstration and the declaration of the gospel, the word and the deeds that come with the gospel. Paul reminds us here that we are reconciled, but then we're given a message. We want to be people of gospel mission. We want to see people in our city redeemed. We want to bring justice where there is none. We want to serve the underserved. We want to reach the unreached in our community and to the ends of the earth. We want to notice those in our community that are overlooked by everyone else. We want to show our community that our God is a God who sees us. And we also want to proclaim the good news that there is hope found in Jesus Christ alone. This is the time of year when students start figuring out that they can't put their hope in the things they used to or the things they've tried in the first two weeks. This is when the depression and the anxiety and the suicidal ideation and the loneliness set in for students or for new people to town. We live in a city where everyone is going through a transition, it seems like. But times of transition are prototypically where revivals have started. With young people who decide to give their lives to Jesus and decide that he's the most important thing in their life. We have an opportunity to be people of gospel truth, community, and mission.
we end our services every week on our feet. We end the service every week on our feet because we want to remember that we are the church and that worship doesn't start when the service is over. But we are also proclaiming and declaring revival starts right now. Revival starts with me. And if you're like me, you need a revival in your heart each week. If you're like me, you need a revival in your heart each morning. When we are people of gospel truth and gospel community and we remember our gospel mission, a revival starts to well up inside of our hearts as we give more and more of ourselves to Jesus. And we see the spirit of the living God do his work. We cannot schedule revival, but we would be negligent as elders of this church if we did not give us opportunities as a church to consider our lives and what we have or have not given up to the Lord. In the next few weeks, you will see some commitment Sundays. Next week, you're going to be challenged to commit to share your faith with at least one friend. A couple weeks after that, we're going to have a commitment to give of our financial resources or a reevaluation of the commitments we've already made. We are going to talk about our commitment to serve here in this church. Uh, largely, we had our commitment Sunday. I will say that there are still spots that need to be filled, and there's some people doing four and five jobs because we don't have enough folks. So if grace is your home, we want to ask you to commit to serve. But we're also going to tell you about some opportunities to serve in our community that night as well. And then after the story of God, we want to make sure that everyone has been called to place their faith and trust in Christ if they have not done so already. Brothers and sisters, a revival can happen and it can start with us because God is good and he is wise and if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. And if you are a new creation, you have a call on your life. And you have been entrusted with a message and a ministry of reconciliation. And that's really good news to share. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to hear from you. We want to end tonight by worshiping you and commit our week to being a week of worship to you. God, thank you that we don't do it alone, but we do it with one another as a, a family, as a gospel community. God, we ask your spirit to guide us. If your spirit doesn't empower us and if we don't walk in step with your spirit, we can't even make it through the day, let alone a revival. God, we ask that you would do a work in us that can only be the work of a living God. In Jesus' name, amen.